Hi, friends and colleagues. It's Nikki from Full Voice Music. Today on the podcast, this is part one of my conversation with music education specialist and composer Donna Rodenizer. Donna is celebrating 35 years of teaching, 40 years of composing, and 25 years of performing with her musical partner, Andy Dunker. And in this episode, we are debuting a brand new Donna Rodenizer song for your young singers called It's Raining Cats and Dogs. There are great stories, teaching strategies, and new music for you right here on the Full Voice Podcast. Welcome to the Full Voice Podcast, teaching strategies and resources for voice teachers working with young singers. Now here's your host, Nikki Loney. My dearest friend, colleague, music educator, songwriter, hilarious person from Nova Scotia, how are you? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, and I'm great. How are, how's Andy? I see Andy back there. Andy has finished making breakfast for himself, so he will be very quiet in the background. <laughs> we should. He we can't should. hear. He can't hear you, so so he's he's just lip reading. So if he answers any questions, they may be totally random. <laughs> <laughs> well, we I want to tell all the listeners that before we started recording, Andy was in the background making his breakfast and we were like, you can't make noise like that. We can hear you. Um, and I should also tell everybody that I kept both of you up very late last night because we were we were testing the Skype and then we talked for an hour and a half. <laughs> I saw that when I turned it on. It said last call was one hour and 34 minutes. I said, Really? We love to chat. Yeah. And they're always yes. late nights. And you're a morning person. Oh, no, I'm not a morning person. No. I'm a, talk to me until 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm great. And let me sleep until 10. Perfect. Oh, okay. I love that. All yeah. right. We can That's continue. one of the reasons reasons why teaching has... has uh, I'm not a grumpy non-morning person. Oh, okay. But... Um, my natural inclination is to get up at 10. So when I go to school and I start teaching at 8, that's like the middle of the night for me. <laughs> and people don't realize that I've done that for my whole teaching career. Because you know. you're a musician at heart. Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm so happy that you are here. And this podcast, I, I hope, is going to be like a celebration of your amazing career. So I'm just going to give everybody a little bit of information here. So... You are about to retire from the classroom. You have that been teaching, true. you've been teaching for 35 years. Yep. And you have been composing music for 40 years. You also have taught private violin and piano lessons. And for 24 years, you and Andy have been performing and recording music for children. Wow. That sounds about right. Can I ask how it feels to be closing the door on teaching? Yeah, the the day-to-day -day, um, work part of teaching school, I will not miss. Mm. The getting up, you know, every morning at six o'clock and going hail or rain or snow or sleet and going outside and dressing. I'm an indoor cat. So dressing to go outside on duty for mm. morning and recess duty, that I won't miss. Talking to the kids at morning duty, I will miss. Mm -hmm. And um, all of the stuff when they're, you know, they come into my classroom and it's like, oh, Mr. Rodenizer, I, I lost my tooth or I'm getting a new <laughs> guinea pig or all of those, all of those interactions with the kids outside of the music part. But in addition to the music part, that I will miss. So I'm ready not not 
to have the time constraints of the structure, but I'm already missing the the hands-on with my choir kids and mm. the the movement and the singing and all the stuff that I do every day with kids and handbells and recorders and all of those things. I, I will miss that part. Mm. And one of the kids said, well, you're, you're just up and quitting. Oh. <laughs> and I, and I said, no, no, dear, I've been teaching for 35 years. I've gone to school every year since I was five, except for one year I took a deferred salary leave. So since I was five, I was either going to school or going to university or teaching school. Since I was five, I've been in school every September. And now you're just quitting. And, and now I'm just <laughs> up and quitting. Yeah. I am going to have to go and buy some notebooks and pens and pencils and stuff in September because that's just so ingrained. But yeah. <laughs> Okay, okay. Can I come and go shopping with you? Because I love buying pens and paper and it's the best I, it's just there's just something so wonderful about it now my my uh my my vice is those japanese websites with all the cute little pens and papers we won't talk about those right now okay <laughs> yeah well <laughs> today i would love to talk about your lengthy career as a composer how you got started, and really how it's changed over the years. Because you mm. compose not just for children, but for choirs, for adults. Um, you you cover a very wide range of ensembles in your <coughs> writing. So can we start with your your early days of composing? How did how did it all get started for you? I think it was just sort of a natural progression because I was playing music all the time. Like I, as, as a kid, I took piano lessons starting at age five formally. My mom was a piano teacher. So I always say I took piano lessons before I was born ah. because, because she would have been teaching. I have two older sisters as well. So music was always a part of my being mm -hmm. from the very beginning. Um, and so it was a natural progression to go from what I was playing that other people had written to, you know, well, what would this sound like or experimenting? And it's very interesting, although I didn't realize it at the time, going back now, my mom was cleaning out one of her filing cabinets and I inherited back um, some of the beginning piano books that I had played out of. And some of the songs that I so loved as a young piano student, I hear shades of things that I still love as a composer at this age. Um, there, uh, a Lady on the Mountain or something like that. It was in a blue conservatory piano book. And it's got these dissonances in it. It's sort of, I don't know, ethereal, but yet the dissonances resolve. And it's it's so close to a lot of my philosophy of writing. So I didn't realize it at the time, but those songs, they seep into your soul and they're there. So as a teacher of young students, when you are choosing music for your students to sing, that repertoire is really important because it stays mm. in there. So mm -hmm. you, you've got to choose the best you can find, both for their vocal range and all that kind of stuff, but also for the, the philosophy and life view that you're ingraining mm. through music, because music stays. I was talking to a young girl yesterday, actually, um, she's training to be a music therapist and she's going into um, senior citizens homes and playing music for people who can no longer speak and mm -hmm. they can no longer function. They can still sing. You start to play those old songs that they knew and they will sing along and wow. whatever. So 
Like what a responsibility as a, a voice teacher, as a, a classroom teacher, what we're putting in there is going to mm-hmm. stay for a lifetime oh. and sometimes longer than anything else. That should right. be on a t-shirt. All of that. <laughs> all of that. You'd have to be like a size XXXXL. <laughs> Front and back. <laughs> <laughs> and inside. I love yeah. that. Anyway, so... So um, then in my family, we had a music room. We had a great big old farmhouse and the front parlor of, you know, the traditional old farmhouses was our music room. And we had two pianos. My mother sold Farfisa organs. There was an organ with oh, some wow. foot pedals, not a lot, but some. And um, ukuleles and guitars and xylophones and recorders and all that stuff. And so we would go in and shut ourselves in in the room and, and play away, my sisters and I. And... Uh, we got a reel-to-reel tape recorder at some point in time in the 60s, mid-60s. Right. And so we would record ourselves. And I was like early, early a pioneer in that sort of, I would record myself on the reel-to-reel mm-hmm. playing the piano. And then when I started playing violin, I would get a cassette recorder and record the <gasps> reel-to-reel playing the piano part and me playing the violin part. So I was multi-tracking. Before there was at, multi-tracking before equipment. Before there was multi-tracking, yes. And I then you have that. the dual cassette players. So I would then play those together on the cassette and then tape another cassette. So like three, anyway. So that it, is... it, it was there from way, way, way back. But I was just doing stuff for me at that point in time. Right. Yeah. Now, yeah. How, did it, how did it transfer? When did you get inspired to write for others? Um, in high school... There was no music program until I was in grade 12. And in grade oh. 12, they decided to put music in. Well, I took all of my lessons privately. Mm. Um, I had violin lessons and piano lessons, voice lessons. And I played in a community orchestra, played violin. And then I played in the Nova Scotia Youth Orchestra. So I had mega, mega. There was no television in my life in mm. high school. Mm. Um, but um, lots and lots of music outside of school time. But in grade 12, they put uh, music into the curriculum and uh, myself and probably six or seven kids took the music course. Well, they were learning. These are the space notes and these are the (laughs) line notes. And I'm taking, you know, my grade nine conservatory piano exam that year and doing, you know, level one or two or three theory. So my music teacher said, Donna, you will pass this course, but you must write a three part choral arrangement of original song for the graduation to be sung at graduation. Go. Wow. And he left me to my own devices, and I wrote the goodbye song, which was my first sort of public, this is this is her, here you are. And wow. I did. That's what I did. Yeah. So, and, and that was, you know, composing by force. But then when I got into the teaching, <laughs> the teaching of my students, I needed music for them for mm. concerts. And, and my principal was a grumpy athletic supporter, and so he he uh, was a bit scary and I didn't want to ask him for money. And so I started writing my own stuff for my students to sing. So they would have stuff for concerts. Wow. Wow. That's where Ed, the invisible dragon and I need a home for my dinosaur and just passing by all of those were written in my first years of teaching. Oh, I love that. Ed, the invisible dragon is by, is for sure one of the favorites for my my little singers. They love that. What was the inspiration for Ed? <laughs> the inspiration for Ed was my own children, who uh, I have three boys who are now 
all dads of more children. So I have five grandkids. Wow. So when, but when my boys were little boys, they loved to play with Lego and I would go into the living room and it would be Lego everywhere. And I'd say, <laughs> okay, who left this Lego here? Well, nobody left the Lego there. So <laughs> therefore nobody had to pick it up because nobody did. So at some point in time I said, well, gee, somebody must live here that's invisible that's leaving all this Lego here, and Ed the Invisible Dragon was born. I have a dragon and his name is Ed. He sleeps in the space at the foot of my bed. He follows along wherever I go, but he keeps himself invisible so no one will know. He's Ed the That's a great story. <laughs> we would drive along and, and write verses. So the, the four that we sing are only four of many that are stashed oh, away somewhere. Oh, that's interesting. So you've yeah. edited out others. Okay. Edited for length. You'll have to do a Donna extended version so for so people can hear the whole story. I love that. <laughs> Once I get truly retired and start organizing and refiling my files, it, it'll surface because I've got a whole drawer of historic composing that gets stuffed in there. So, so yeah. there's probably It'll... some gems of writing that is just in a filing cabinet somewhere in your home. Oh, I have, I, well, those notebooks that I buy in September <sighs> come to great use. Um, I have notebooks and notebooks of song ideas and I've got binders and like, if I needed to write a song, I could go and pull a binder and, and sift through and say, okay, let's finish this one. Wow. So, so there are songs that, have taken a long time to write because I do that. Like grandma's pajamas. I put that in a binder and 14 years later, it finally got <laughs> finished recorded and whatever. So that's my longest writing process. So. Grandma's pajamas are pink with frilly lace. Grandma's pajamas tickle her face. Grandma cannot get to sleep. Try as she might because those pesky pajamas keep her awake all night. Around the collar and lace down by her toes. Why she wears those jammies, why nobody knows. Insomnia is very real. She's tired and her fate is Wow. Now, when you when you get a, a song idea, um, what is your process for introducing it to the kids? Um, right now, I, I grab it, I take it into the classroom and say, hey guys, I've got a, a new song and I want you to sing this for me. Here we go. And we sing through and and um sometimes there's a part that I say well I'm not sure if I want to do this or I want to do that um what do you think and so they have had inputs wow. in many many songs uh to the point where it doesn't matter whose song we sing like at the end of a song doesn't matter like Bach and then they would say why did he do that there and wouldn't it have been better if he had done <laughs> such and such like like there are no respecter of persons anymore just because that, I love that. Yeah. Well, and it's just sort of like you've got some musical discernment and it's sort of like there's questioning there. Why is this like this? And I've always said if you can't explain it so a child can understand it, you might have to rethink what you're trying to do because it's got to make sense. That's brilliant. I love how your kids are like, hmm, I wonder what he was thinking when he... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And sometimes like when I've written something and they say, well, I like this better or you could do this and I said well thank you for your input but 
you know, now we're going to do it this way because there are things that I do do want. And and there are um, songs when I'm singing with, with them and it's like it's too fast or they sing a line that's not right and then I'll stop right. and say, um, we have to do that again because I personally know the composer and I know that's not what she <laughs> wanted right there. So let's do that again and they take that with good grace. Oh, wow. I think that's so funny. And now for the My Music Staff Minute. Hey, podcast listeners. Natalie here with your My Music Staff Minute. So you have put all this time into setting up your student portal for your studio. How to get your families to log in and use it? Most of your families will immediately see the benefits of the online portal and begin using it right away. They no longer need to wait for you to pick up the phone or return a voicemail, email, or text. Every studio has a couple families that are resistant to change. It may take some time for them to get into the habit of referring to the portal, but it will have some long-term gains for you and them. So what's next? You've always been their source for answers, and we need to change that habit. It's going to take a little bit of patience, coaching, and repetition, but everyone will come around. After all, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. Always make the portal the most accessible and convenient option for your parents' questions. Make sure your student portal has the answers to your most frequently asked questions. It needs to be the one-stop solution to your family's questions. Review the information regularly to make sure you're sharing the most up-to-date information. It's easier for you to record it once in the student portal, rather than individually communicating information to dozens of families. If someone reaches out to you and the answers in the student portal, refer them to the portal for the answer. As an example, this means that when a parent calls for anything scheduling related, you can reply, I'm sorry, I'm not in front of the computer, but you can log into the student portal to review your upcoming schedule and register or cancel your lessons. If a family asks what they owe you, refer them to the student portal for their balance. If someone asks what they should practice this week, say, I included that in your lesson notes. Did you check the student portal? If families are sending their questions by email or text, your reply will be detailed instructions on how to find the information in the student portal. There might be some growing pains at first, but over time, this will form a habit and have long-term success for your studio. The handful of reluctant adopters will start logging into the student portal before picking up the phone, drastically reducing your time spent performing unpaid administration work. Start your 30-day free trial of My Music Staff today at www.mymusicstaff.com. Stay tuned for next week's tips and tricks on the My Music Staff Minute, exclusively on the Full Voice Podcast. The fact that your kids are part of your creative process, that is so wonderful. And I know that, uh, I know that, when we involve our students, like I often ask with my students, I often ask them about their warmups, you know, like we could sometimes together with my student will create what they want to sing for warmup. And they're so engaged because they are a part of the process. They're not just being told what to do. They get a say. So I love that you do that. I love that you do that. There are many, many music teachers that I know that say, Oh, I, I like, I can't compose with my students. And mm. composing is just taking what you know and arranging it in some kind of fashion, organized or not. Mm. You're just taking what you know and 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 improvising with it, manipulating it. And so the kids aren't scared of that. Right. Like when I'm doing stuff with my, my primary or kindergarten students, they're singing high and low sounds. Before mm. they ever know that that's so in me, we create songs with high and low. And I draw a line on the board and I say, here's dinosaur magnets. First 10 kids go up, put your dinosaur either high or low. 
and they put it above the line or below the line, and then we sing it. I said, oh. you have just composed a song. Go home and tell somebody at home, I am a composer. And they'll say, no, you can't be a composer. You're not old enough. You don't know <laughs> enough music. And you say, yes, I wrote a song today. That is so empowering. And they are not afraid to manipulate what they know. And they are very, very um, enthusiastic about singing their own compositions. And like... Think about it. How many different combinations of so me, so me can you sing? Well, if they're writing their own, they want to sing it over and over and over. It's a wonderful tool, composing. Now, when we met uh, last, was it last spring? Yeah, it was a year ago. Oh, my gosh. Wow. When we met last spring, you and Andy came to Ontario. You were doing a tour. You gave me a great game for my introductory vocal class, which which the kids request, which is on in the same line of what you just said. So we the kids have to decide if they're going to be so or me. Yes. So they either have to stand yes. up or sit down. And then yes. and then we take turns singing the children. <laughs> and yes. then and, and so then they- I I pull a kid out and I go, okay, I'm going to take your place. And then I go one, two, three, and everybody decides that they're going to change their pitch or not. And then, um, and then the other, then the new student has to sing across the kids. So, so me, so me, and all the way through. That is such a great, great game. They love that, but they've gotten clever because now I have students that will lie flat on the floor because they want to be dough and one of my students, like, if I stick my leg up, what note could that be? So again, they're right. If I if I hold my hand up in the air, that's law. That's yeah. law. <laughs> yeah. So absolutely. And and all of that that was their that was their idea. I did not say that they they're very creative when given like a, a an idea of a game. They always take it and make it even more fun. I yes. love that with and kids. And it's so kinesthetic. It's so kinesthetic. Oh, yes. That the whole use your body to to do that. I it's, love that. It's a great tool. It's a great tool. Well, I have to thank yeah. you for that game because that's become a mainstay <laughs> in my introductory vocal classes. And although I only have I like I only have 6. I know you have a much bigger class. Uh, it's a great little activity for them. So I want I want to go back when I was first composing songs for my students, yes, they would sing those songs in concerts, and then other music teachers would hear the songs, and they would say, "Can I get that song from you?" And so I said, "Sure." So I would just give them the song, and they would take it, and then other people started hearing it, and it started sort of the ripple effect kind of going out. And then I met up with a professor at Acadia, who it's just down the road for me and she was teaching music education and she said Donna you really need to stop giving your music away because mm. it's great and lots of people are starting to use it and she encouraged me to create a book mm. and that's how that side of everything got started I tried to get it published um, some of these little little songs and couldn't find a publisher that would pick it up and so like the little red hen I said I will do it myself <laughs> and so, so I put together a book and and uh, we Sirlux did the Surlux binding on yes, the side yes. and laminated the covers and, and I started doing workshops and, and talking about my composing, but making my music available in these little booklets of music. My mother sold the first hundred copies, you know, random strangers on the street. Like, <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. I bumped into you. Do you know my daughter? She writes music. Would you like to buy this book? It's only, you know, and, and single God bless our moms. <laughs> yes. Yes. Anyway, but, but all of that, you know, push into, 
being a published composer mm. also was sort of, well, it was, you know, by design sort of, but not on purpose. Mm. Now, when did you, when did you establish Red Castle Publishing? Andy and I created that in the year 2000. I used to uh, publish as Triple T Publishing mm -hmm. um, for the, uh, the first little bit. Um, I have three boys and their last name is Taylor. So it was Triple T and that kind of made sense. Oh. But anyway, in, in the year 2000, Andy and I decided that we would sort of combine forces in that publishing world. Mm -hmm. And um, so we came up with Red Castle Publishing as our umbrella Yes. Um, we, we live in Kings County, and so the castle concept made sense. And uh, Rodenizer actually means red house. So oh. my, home, my home is my castle. So it all kind of made sense. Oh, okay. Now, on Red Castle Publishing, so you, you guys have uh, uh, quite a few things in process right now. So Red Castle yeah. Publishing, Red Castle Publishing is where people can get your collections and your songs and the MP3s, like the, the audio for them. But you are working very hard on a new website, which is Elementary Music with Donna. Dot com. Yes. Yes. Can you tell everybody about you've been doing a video every day? Tell everybody about that. So for those of you that are looking for more brilliant ideas from Donna, she shares great teaching strategies, a video a day. Tell, tell everybody about that. So we've called this elementary music with Donna, but it isn't just elementary music ideas. It's teaching tips and advice and strategies that, that I've used and developed over my 35 year teaching career. Um, there are days every now and then where, you know, I'm out stalking a blue jay in my backyard to try to get a, a, a good visual for a, a song or something. But um, lots and lots of teaching tips. And there's, it's a little bit uh, like my brain in that I get going on a jag. And so there'll be four or five in the same kind of vein. And then in my classroom, I switched to something else, or I've done something that's sparked an idea. And so it kind of goes where I go with mm -hmm. me very fluidly. But um, playlists eventually mm. will be created because otherwise you've got to, to sort of drive through uh, over 200 videos at this point in time. Wow. Um, and there are days when you're going like, oh my gosh, what am I going to post today? And, uh, <laughs> and uh, well, actually, the ideas are not the problem. I have a whole scribbler. I just sat one day and wrote down, okay, what if I run out of ideas? So I thought while I'm thinking about this and I wrote down, I have 153 in the scribbler um, that I have gone back and looked and pulled two out of so wow I, I know I'll, I know I'll get to 365 with no problem oh, but I but love it's, that. it's a great way to to share things that have worked in my classroom mm. for years and years and years and it's very interesting to me the number of young teachers that are on social media going oh my gosh I've got two kids that constantly talk what do I do and I'm thinking really okay I have some ideas. Here they are. And I'll make a video and post it mm. and say, this is in response to so-and-so's question. And here are seven things that I've tried over the years that work. Or I did a, a video on, on vocal warmups um, that I do with my choir that they absolutely love to do. And that I just did a video on that and, and posted. Um, so that kind of thing. I love that. Sometimes I talk about the songs. I haven't gotten as many of those as, as I will, but uh, to talk about the songs that I write and why I wrote them or mm. how they work in concerts or that kind of stuff. So it's a whole gamut of stuff. I talk about recorders, talk about handbells. Uh, my kids from school just went and got gold 
standard at the music festival. <gasps> Congratulations. Playing handbells, playing two of my original handbell songs that I wrote for them. So um, that will be this week's post later of, of them playing at the festival. So, so inspiring. So inspiring. So, That's one of the things that I love and I get excited about social media is that you know, a, a new teacher just getting started has access to somebody with so much experience and we can share the wonderful resources or the exercises or we can just, we can just support each other. Isn't, I think it's just so yeah. fantastic that, that you're out and, there doing this. And it can go around the world. It has changed so mm -hmm. much. Like, like when I talk about my mom selling that first collection of books, that was kind of the only way to get that music out there. That's right. That's um, right. So how can I get this? Well, you buy a book and then you mail them the book and then they have the book. But now with, with social media and digital, I mean, we're all over the world. Mm -hmm. We have music, we have sent music everywhere except the Antarctic. Oh, wow. like every continent except the Antarctic has a piece of music of Donna Rodenizer's somewhere in it, <laughs> which is really, I mean, that's mind boggling. It is. Um, when I started this, that would not be possible. That was not possible. Has technology changed the way you write or the way you think about writing or the distribution of music? Has that distribution for sure? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, and my writing uh, when I started writing was just, you know, piano and laboriously paper and mm -hmm. pencil writing down whatever. And now I have a keyboard that if I have an idea, I can push record and I can play in my idea and I can come back and refine and fool around with it before I have to put anything down mm -hmm. on paper. I, I use uh, Sibelius, so the the technology of creating it for distribution has changed. Mm -hmm. um, so that I, I ended up doing that. I took a Kodai certification course, and one of the elements in that was this guy that came and talked about, oh, I think it was called Deluxe Music Construction Set or something, and that was my, my first uh, software writing wow. program that I was ever introduced to and I bought a ridiculously expensive Mac computer and um, that was in early 90s and wow. uh, started writing and, and, and again you know do you handwrite it and photocopy it to send it out well no you use a music writing program but that all changed and, and evolved mm. like early in that process for me I was born just at the right time for this you know mm. this is good <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first music notation program that when we started to that I started to play with when we started to test the full voice workbooks. This is like almost 20 years ago. And I remember how difficult it was to use it. It was not user friendly and oh. it took forever. And I was and I was just I wasn't composing songs. We were just putting out like little four bar exercises, but it just took it was so laborious. And Oh, but now uh, they're like, they're like second nature, right? Like just, they're so quick. And yeah. Once you know, the, yeah. once you know, I love Sibelius. I was a Sibelius um, user for the longest time. Um, but uh, I remember going back to those early days and dragging and clicking and forever, yeah. forever. Yeah. Now, how many songs do you think, just rough estimate? Um, with your with your song collections, how many published children's songs do you have? Sixty or seventy? Wow! Because I've got four. Do I have four collections of music? I got four. <laughs> 
Yeah, I've got, no, I've got five, but yeah, I've got five collections and each one of those has 12. So there's 60 right there. Wow. And then I've got single song downloads, which is our, our newest thing because mm-hmm. I haven't done any song collections for a while so that people can just pick up the songs that they want individually. Yeah, it's going to be over 80. Wow. Kid songs. Now, when you first started writing, you were writing um, classroom and choral music. When you're composing, are you now writing for soloists or do you think differently when you're writing songs? The songs that I write are most often my perspective on something Mm. or from an idea that I think of. And I think a lot of the time I just write what I need to write. I love it. And once it's written, then you figure out who that song works best for as a performer or as a singer. However, there have been times when I have written songs on purpose, like commissions or Mm -hmm. like so. Um, and, and you just have to put that in as a parameter. So if Mm. I'm writing a choir commission for a community choir where, you know, there's going to be a lot of non-readers and more women than men, and you, you write to that, um, genre and, and your people, um, as I know that we've got Royal Conservatory, uh, solo voice teachers, um, using my songs, yes, I'm writing that's another that's another palette for me. Mm-hmm. It's like, ooh, I can write something for this, and it's the same as writing for handbells or for violin or or all of those things. It's oh, that's what what can I write with this palette? So yes, I think about it, but it's it's kind of a back and forth. Neither one is the dominant driver of that, right. but all of that informs how and what I write. I love that it. That makes sense. It makes yeah. perfect sense, and I think that's fantastic. Yeah. So it's raining cats and dogs. Okay. Mm, that, that Good is, segue. That, that's, that's the secret raining cats and dogs. Um, when I wrote that, um, I was trying to put together a, a song list for somebody on, on social media mm-hmm. um, to do a spring concert. Okay. And I thought, you know what? I've got a lot of songs for young singers um, because I needed them for my Christmas concerts at school. Sure. So there's a lot of snow and winter and Christmas songs, but I don't have a lot of those uh, songs for younger students for spring concerts. And I was writing mm. a whole thing. Well, you could do a spring concert with the theme of rain and sun and, and weather and that kind of stuff. And I thought, gee, what would I put in for, for younger kids to sing for that? And uh, so I thought, and it's raining cats and dogs. It, it, popped in my head and then I started to scribble down down the, the words and and uh and I'm not sure it's it if it ties in with uh one of my warm-ups I do with my kids in my choir um which if you ask me about my warm-up is the one I'll talk about later but um the raining cats and dogs theme mm-hmm. sort of arrived in my brain and so I started to write that down and my favorite verse is when they get to go meow 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 but <laughs> I have to say the kids love that too. So I'm going to, I'm going to let the cat, I'm doing air quotes out of the bag. So, Oh, that's so good. uh, (laughs) So a a few months ago, Donna uh, sent me this very 
fun little song and she said this is a new song i just wrote it and uh you, you sang it you sang it to me over we were having a conversation via skype and you sang it to me over the over the skype and i was like this is so cute you know this is this is your next new hit the kids are going to love it so donna sent me the secret copy and i introduced it to my um introductory vocal class and they immediately adored it they loved it and yes they love the meow 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 part very good although one of my students right you give them that opportunity to compose would like to hear a chicken clucking but we kiboshed that uh, we just <laughs> we we might put it in the concert i don't know Anyhow, um, Donna gave me the opportunity to record this with some of my singers. So I have world, world premiere, world premiere right here on the Full Voice podcast. This is Raining Cats and Dogs, and this features three of my little singers who worked so hard. We had a recording session at the church on Saturday. They were so lovely. They had so much fun. I also have some crazy outtakes because they also had ideas for you, which I told you about. Um, this is... Kennedy Wilkes, Jordan Chang, and Olive Catherine. They all sang together, but we all they all get a verse. And this is Donna's new song that nobody has ever heard before. It's Raining Cats and Dogs. It's raining cats and dogs. It's raining cats and dogs. I'll go outside with a great big box and try to pick I want to thank Donna for writing such a cute little song, but I also want to thank my little singers for, for performing it and debuting it. So thank you, Kennedy and Jordan and Olive, for a fun afternoon and a lovely job. I am thrilled that they sang that because it gives me the opportunity to um, put that on our website as a sample. So anybody Ooh. that comes and and orders uh, what we call registered reproducible masters, those are those single song mm -hmm. downloads. Um, I always like to have some kind of a sample so you can hear what it's kind of supposed to sound like. So you can let them know they're going to be um, permanently famous on the the Red Castle Publishing music offerings. Oh, that will make their day. A very special thank you to Donna for allowing us to share this 
fun new composition. I can tell you my students have had a lot of fun singing it and exploring this new song. You can download a copy of It's Raining Cats and Dogs for free on our website. It's Freebie Friday. And if you go to thefullvoice.com forward slash free resources, you will see all the information there. And Donna has kindly given us a practice track to go along with it. So lots of fun for your singers. Now we will continue our conversation next week because Donna has so many great teaching strategies. She also shares a fantastic vocal warm up. And we've got some samples of even more of her wonderful music. As always, if you are enjoying this podcast, please leave a rating and a review or share the information with your friends and colleagues. I'm wishing you inspired teaching and happy singing. Thank you for listening to the Full Voice Podcast. For more information and teacher resources, please visit our website at thefullvoice.com. Made by Canoe Music. Canoemusic.ca It's awesome! It's awesome! It's awesome when Donna writes the songs. Whoop, whoop. It's awesome when Donna writes the songs. Whoop, whoop. It's awesome when Donna writes the songs. Whoop, whoop. It's awesome when Donna writes the songs. Whoop, whoop. It's awesome when Donna writes the songs. Hi Donna. Hey Donna. Hi Donna. Alright. Do you want her to write more songs for you? Yeah. Yes. Okay, what would you like the next song that Donna writes to be about? Tacos. Tacos. Food. Yeah, tacos. Ice cream. Ice cream and tacos. Yeah. Ice cream. Like Spill I put food. the ice cream on the taco, food. bro. Yucky food. Yucky food? Yeah. Oh, yucky and gross people food. eating it? People Ooh, eating mud? People eating mud. That's dark olive. Dark. I've seen so many mud. I've seen that. He took but no. What about like took, animals? He took like mud animals. and put it on for a mustache. Then he used his finger and licked it. Okay, you have weird friends. <laughs> my friends done that. Well, they're no, not. No, dude, about like Mother Nature. He's like frenemy. Yeah. Mother Nature. He's my frenemy. And like animals and food. Not mud, food? but food. 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 Like and like the crystal clear water. No. Oh, that's a good one. I think she would like that one. Like I water? don't know about the eating mud one. Sorry, eating mud. I love I the like taste of mud. It's so delicious. <laughs>